Proverbs chapter 25. Sunday morning we're in a topical series through the book of Proverbs entitled Timeless Wisdom. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle right now and they'll put a Bible in your hand so you can read the Word of God as well as uh, hear it. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Um, uh, just a reminder, on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, currently studying the book of Acts, where we will be tonight at 6 o'clock, and each of you are invited to come out for that uh, as well. Okay, so I'm gone for a couple of weeks here, and I have to learn how to keep my Bible from slipping down again. There we go. Listen, it's not easy. Uh, up here. A single verse to start, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your voice in our lives. We thank you for your commitment to um, finish the work that you have begun in each one of our lives. We thank you that you are not only faithful to tell us the truth, but that you have proven yourself in our relationship with you to be very, very safe in allowing you to speak to us and to know that it's a heart of love that speaks to us. And so we thank you for the truth that we turn to today uh, the exhortation that is found in it, the encouragement that is found in it, the freedom that is found in it, and your heart's great desire to produce this within each one of our lives for your blessing and for our blessing. And so we pray that you would speak to us, make your word powerful in our heart and minds and in our spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning as we continue that series uh, entitled Timeless Wisdom in the Book of Proverbs, we come now to the subject in this verse, uh, the subject of self-control or self-discipline. Uh, we could define self-control as the ability to controls one, control one's actions and emotions by the will. Let me repeat that. The ability to control one's actions, words, and emotions by the will. And uh, that definition is, of self-control is as good really as uh, any. Uh, it raises the question, though, in our modern world that we live in, and the questions that it raises uh, are questions like this. Is self-control innate in man? That is, is every human being born into the world equipped with some natural capacity to control ourselves, uh, uh, to exercise self-control over our emotions, over our impulses, and over our behaviors? Or is the concept or the idea of self-control 
that man is born with some fundamental and general capacity to govern our own behavior, uh, is that uh, a uh, rather a destructive uh, construct uh, in, uh, in a society that a society uses as a justification for holding people responsible for their actions, their words, and their emotions when, in fact, people have no capacity for that self-control in their lives. The idea that self-control is not innate. It is not something that we are uh, born with. And nor is it something that can be taught even after we're born. And many, many people advocate that, advocate that in our modern world, especially in this crazy nation we live in, that man is born, the idea that, uh, that uh, it, 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 they deny this in their continual quest to represent man is absolutely incapable of self-control. That every human being is a complete victim uh, of our urges and of our environments, and thus no one should be held responsible for uh, our actions or our words or our uh, emotions. And as our popular culture today uh, advocates even further the idea, and in, in so much in pop culture, that the truly spiritual person in life, the truly uh, enlightened person in the world are actually those who refuse to control their passions or their emotions, but they allow those passions and emotions to take them anywhere that they want to in life, and then they portray that as the true freedom, the highest freedom that a person can experience uh, in life. But as anybody can see that if that were true, and if everyone did this, if no one exercised self-control in life, then the entire world would become complete anarchy. And given the fallenness of man's emotions and of our uh, passions, uh, which makes self-control necessary in each of our lives, uh, it would turn the earth into uh, an animalistic hell uh, if that worldview uh, prevailed. And if that worldview that is held by so many today in our culture were allowed to prevail. The fact of the matter is that worldwide, behind every law enacted uh, by every governing society, is the belief and indeed the assumption that man is capable of exercising enough self-control to then obey those laws. And then, not only that, but if one refuses to obey those laws, then they're to be held responsible for not exercising the self-control required in doing so. Every single human being is born into this world, excuse me, born into the world, 
We live in this world, whether uh, they are a Christian or not, every one of us has the capacity for self-control and the responsibility to grow in that self-control and to exercise that self-control in our lives. And God has placed that capacity within us, and he's done so in the form uh, of this thing called conscience. Again, this intuitive knowledge that each of us has of right and wrong and the knowledge that we should always do what is right and we should never do what is wrong. And God has given man the ability to obey the laws of God and the laws of man which are uh, in line with this God-given conscience. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 2. He said, for when Gentiles, unsaved, pagans, and we, Paul used the term affectionately, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things of the law, speaking of the law of Moses, these, although not having the law, are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. If God did not give every human being this conscience as a standard for our thinking, for our doing, uh, for our speaking, and, and our emotions, and then give us the ability to keep the laws of God and the laws of man that are in line with this conscience he's given uh, to us, then he would know most of all the futility of even writing one law in his book, much less filling the Bible with laws and most notably with the law of Moses in the Old uh, Testament. And so, uh, and so uh, it would be futile, and yet he gives us laws because he knows we have the capacity to keep them. And so you say, why spend the time on this this morning? I mean, laying out what is uh, common sense uh, to most people. Because as the old saying uh, goes, uh, common sense is not as common as we think it is. And it's never been more uncommon in the United States of America uh, than it is today in this regard and almost in, in all uh, regards. And so the importance of this some of us can look at this, and if we're a little bit older, uh, a different country fashioned us. These things were common sense. But the younger you get all the way down through the congregation and through the culture, they haven't been fashioned by the same, uh, by the same country. And, and these things that were never in play and would have been laughed off the stage... 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and more are now being instilled into the minds and the attitudes of people and being taken seriously to the extreme detriment of people. 
And so the importance of uh, looking at this and laying a foundation for it uh, a little bit. While we, when we read in the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia that self-control is uh, a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians, Paul is not saying that only Christians in the world are capable of self-control. Again, God gave uh, the law of Moses uh, to the children of Israel and the command to obey those laws and and the promise to hold them responsible if they did not obey them. And that law was given to the children of Israel long before the Holy Spirit was imparted into the individual lives under this new covenant called Christianity. To be indwelt by the Holy Spirit under the Old Testament was a rare experience. And God gave it to men and women that he called to do extraordinary things under that covenant. But it was not uh, the experience of the average Old Testament uh, saint but an extraordinary uh, experience. This self-control that the Holy Spirit brings into a Christian's life as a result of uh, the Holy Spirit's indwelling is the additional blessing that is needed to live the higher life, the Christian life, a life that is far greater in its demands far greater in its responsibilities, far greater in its privileges, uh, far greater in its influence and impact and than that of conscience or the law of Moses. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives because we have been called to a supernatural thing, an extraordinary life as Christians, and that is to live a life that represents God Almighty in this world and to be a witness and a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because this life is so much higher, the Holy Spirit imparts an even greater self-control to us as Christians in order to live this life. But it doesn't mean that everyone else in the world doesn't have self-control, though they don't have that quality of self-control, though anyone can have it that wants to become a a Christian. And so this is the, the difference. And so when Solomon writes of the wisdom and, and the need for self-control in the Old Testament. He's declaring that some level of self-control, some level of self-discipline uh, 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 is present in every single person. To obey the law of Moses, uh, to obey the laws uh, of man that are consistent with the conscience that God has placed within uh, us. And all that to say that every human being has a significant capacity for self-control in life and was responsible to exercise that capacity for self-control and that uh, great blessings result in our lives as as we do so. So now here into our passage in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down 
without walls. Here you have the man or the woman who has no control over uh, their own uh, spirit. In other words, they refuse to exercise self-control or self-discipline in life. And such a person, Solomon, by the Holy Spirit, likens them to an ancient city whose walls are broken down. Now, in the ancient world, a walled city was a very desirable city to live in, a city that had walls around it for its uh, protection because walls represented a formidable uh, obstacle to a successful attack against the city, uh, a protection against the city being penetrated and overthrown and destroyed and burnt, uh, burnt to the ground by an enemy. And so to be without walls uh, put a city in very, uh, very vulnerable situation when attacked, and it almost guaranteed that the city would be overthrown. And Solomon introduces this word picture into our, our minds. And, um, and the word picture that he puts in our minds is, is one that's easy for us to see. We've all seen enough movies or TV shows or uh, read enough and seen enough pictures and books we've read uh, to, to picture in our minds an ancient city uh, surrounded by a great stone wall for its own, uh, own protection. And, uh, and then as we picture that great city uh, with a great stone wall around it to then picture in our mind uh, a city whose wall has been destroyed uh, in our minds as well. And the difference between the two, the difference in terms of vulnerability between uh, the two. And so Solomon applies to, to us, and what he's telling us is that self-control is that wall in our lives And without that wall, without self-control, our lives will continually and successfully be attacked and penetrated by our enemies, and our lives will be brought to ruin. And you think about how many lives are brought to ruin, either partial or total, in the world because of a lack of self-control in our own families and in our own neighborhoods and our own Uh, in our own city. And so unlike an ancient city, our enemies are not the Edomites, they're not the Philistines, but they are the destructive temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil's devil. And those enemies The world, the flesh, and the devil, they are the enemies of every man, every woman, and every child that exists in the world today. And these enemies are far more uh, ruthless, far more formidable than any Edomite or any uh, Philistine. The kind of things that self-control or self-discipline Uh, ought to uh, be uh, practiced against or the kind of things that self-discipline and self-control protect us from in the realm of the flesh alone, 
not even talking about the world or the devil, but in the realm of the flesh alone are given to us by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Allow me to read. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and here's what self-discipline protects us from uh, in life, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Any any one of which, from the realm of the flesh alone, has the capacity to completely destroy uh, individual uh, human life. And that being the flesh alone and what the, f- what the flesh is able to bring into our lives in terms of destruction, it even pales in comparison to the kind of destruction that Satan will bring if the wall of self-discipline and self-control is down uh, in our lives and we make our lives that vulnerable to, to him. And all of this driving home the point that just as anyone living in a walled city uh, in the ancient world would do anything and everything to keep that wall in good order, in, in full strength and good condition, uh, no one in their right mind Solomon is saying, would attempt to live life without self-control. And and to have that kind of an urgency about self-control in our lives. To look at an ancient city and say it would be crazy to allow. uh, to, To put all of one's resources in the commerce within the city, the fun within the city, and neglect the wall. To realize if you neglect the wall and that goes down, you lose everything. And Solomon is saying the same thing is true of a human life. If all of our energies go into just uh, life and the, and the uh, enrichment w- uh, within uh, the human life, but there is no effort made in terms of self-control, it will all be lost. And just as no one would allow us a, a, a wall in an ancient city to fall into disrepair, no one should allow the wall of self-control to fall into disrepair uh, in our own individual uh, lives. It can only lead to defeat and to destruction. And this proverb, as we read it, it's so easy to look at, uh, read this and uh, that proverb and think, that's very nicely put. Solomon certainly had a way with words. That's something to really give some thought to and, and to, to take it on that kind of a level. But Solomon gives the proverb and it's meant to terrify, to terrify Anyone who endeavors to live their human life 
without self-control and to say, to say nothing of actually living such a life. There's a second proverb that's uh, similar to this, and it's in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. And you might uh, turn to that. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and then for our purposes this morning. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So both of these Proverbs, they communicate the same thing, that ruling one's spirit, exercising self-control over our doing, over our saying, over our emotions, that that, uh, that is the true sign of strength in a human being's life. It's a true sign of greatness, and that to... Uh, achieve and to exercise self-control in a person's life, self-mastery in a person's life is a harder and a greater achievement than conquering a city in battle. And so one who exercises self-control is stronger and greater than the most physically strong uh, man. Uh, or uh, greater than a conquering king or general who is able to accomplish these great physical exploits, but they do not possess uh, self-control. And so to live having achieved a victory over ourselves is greater than any victory that we'll ever gain over anything or anyone uh, uh, on the outside of ourselves. Alexander the Great is a classic example of this historically. He's almost a proverb related uh, to this. Uh, Became the leader of the Grecian Empire and defeated the great uh, Persian army and then went on to expand the Grecian Empire all the way from Europe into India. And as he went into India, he then wept that there were no more uh, kingdoms for him to conquer. Then how did he die? Did he die in battle? No, he didn't die in battle. Uh, History tells us that uh, it is reported that he died of a sickness that resulted uh, from walking home after becoming very, very drunk at another uh, residence or bar and walking through the rain and becoming soaking wet uh, one night uh, headed toward his own living quarters. Well, there's some dispute concerning that, but whatever the cause of Alexander the Great's uh, death, uh, the, uh, his drunkenness was uh, legendary. It controlled him. He conquered virtually the known world and he could not conquer drunkenness in his own life. And it ended up being uh, the death of him. And we ask ourselves, why are there so many examples like him in history? Great generals, great rulers, great politicians who despite all of their great accomplishments live their lives dominated by sin and by excess. And the reason is simple, and Solomon gives it to us. It's because self-control is the greater achievement. It's the more difficult achievement in life. 
more difficult than the conquest of the city or the, con- the accomplishment of any great accomplishment in human uh, uh, history. And that's saying a lot. And so how great are the kind of these kind of external accomplishments in life if my life is lived as a captive of my own flesh, if I jump to attention every single time my flesh snaps its finger and tells me to jump uh, to uh, attention. Without self-control, the skin covering our bodies becomes the smallest jail cell in the world. Also, self-control is a source, on the positive side of it, it is a source of greater spoils than you can ever, we can ever bring to ourselves in the conquest of a great city, uh, the greater riches in life. And that is the blessings of freedom, the blessings of a clear conscience, the blessing of peace in my life, the blessing of self-respect in my life. Not waking up every day and hating myself for the person uh, that I am. And in the book of Proverbs, Solomon illustrates the necessity of self-control very broadly in applying it to our lives and far beyond the categories that are obvious to us, the categories of sex, drugs, and rock and roll uh, in life. It's obvious that self-control needs to be exercised in those areas. But he, he goes further uh, in, in the book of Proverbs. He applied it to food. Now, some of you say, now, Pastor, you've gone from preaching to meddling at this point. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1. He said, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, this would be an honor, carefully consider what's put before you. In other words, act appropriately. And put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are a deceptive food. So Solomon says, in a setting like this, he said, it, 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 whatever is needed in order to uh, show self-restraint in the face of, uh, of that appetite and that food, then uh, to show that self-restraint. Don't gobble everything down and because the meal might be there uh, to manipulate you or to get you to loosen up and reveal um, some secrets. We talk about even in the business world about whining and dining people. Uh, The meal is not what it appears to be. It is about something else that you don't realize. And so he says, use moderation related to food in those environments. Control your appetite for food. Or as somebody uh, put it, stab thy gluttony. (laughs) Put a knife to your throat, as Solomon said. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16 Solomon said, have you found honey? Uh, We might say, have you found a snicker bar? Uh, Eat only as much, or let's see, we can do better than that. Um, Three plates of of brownies 
right out of the oven on a fall day. Have you found, honey, eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. So there's a little something for those of us with a sweet tooth. Uh, Solomon also repeatedly uh, emphasized the importance of uh, self-control in our speech or in our words, even when we're being falsely attacked and accused by other people. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27, he who has knowledge spares his word, and a man of understanding is is of a calm spirit. Another proverb in this regard, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, it's honorable for a man to stop or cease striving since any fool can start a quarrel. So the importance of not allowing pride to keep us from walking away from an argument with a fool. Self-control over our speech and environments like that. And this includes yelling at the television set while the news is on. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, a fool vents all of his feelings, no self-control, but a wise man holds them uh, back. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. And to that we could say, ain't that the truth? I wish I hadn't learned that so much the hard way in life, uh, but learning it I am. Solomon also addressed the importance of self-control in listening to other people in life and being respectful enough of another human being to listen to them when I'm engaged in a conversation uh, with them. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, that is, listens, uh, it is a folly and a shame uh, uh, to, uh, to him. Additionally, Solomon also addresses the importance of self-control in being patient in life. Uh, some of us are type A's. We're impulsive. Uh, we can operate under the motive, do something even if it's wrong. Uh, We've got to do something in this situation. Or we go off half-cocked in terms of something that we've we've heard here and are very, very uh, impulsive. And so Solomon writes Proverbs 19, verse 2, Also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, uh, and he sins who hastens uh, with his feet. That person will always make... Uh, every situation in our lives uh, worse. We have a saying, a proverb of our own in this culture, haste makes waste, and it really, uh, really does. And Solomon's application of the importance of self-control into all of these other areas of life in the book of Proverbs, he's not intending to be exhaustive. He's just priming the pump in order to get us in the privacy of our own hearts, thankfully in the privacy of our own hearts, to ask ourselves, what area of, in my life might there be that I 
am lacking in self-control. And it's a danger to me, a destructive danger to me. And to prime the pump to help us just kind of recognize it on our own lives for where that self-control might be lacking to the de- detriment of our Christian witness or to the de- detriment uh, of, of others and, of course, to our own detriment as well. Why don't we use our remaining time uh, here? And I want to move from Solomon's emphasis of the importance and the capacity for self-control uh, in, in terms of the Old Testament saints or in terms uh, of people who are not yet born again and do not have the Holy Spirit uh, with, within them uh, to our capacity, our unique capacity as Christians to uh, exercise self-control. Solomon has very, very well, and I, th- and I think I've laid an adequate enough foundation here related to it, Solomon has brought out wonderfully the importance of self-control and the value of self-control. And I want to narrow our focus here briefly to the how of self-control in a Christian's life. I think it may be the most important verse in this regard in all of the Bible is again found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Now, this, this is what the Holy Spirit brings into our life and produces within our life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And it's important because here... Paul describes self-control as a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is, what the Holy Spirit brings into the life of every single uh, Christian. He provides us with a, uh, the desire to live a self-controlled life. Uh, and, and any of us recognize it in our life concerning any area of, of a lack of self-control in our lives, we desire to be self-controlled there. And, but he doesn't stop there. He provides us with the desire to live a self-controlled life and then the power to live a self-controlled life. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. As I mentioned when we began, there's a special need for self-control in our lives as Christians because our lives are no longer merely a reflection upon ourselves. Our lives now reflect upon God uh, Almighty. And because we're called to live uh, a Christ-like life, a life that is a living witness to the resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. And so uh, self-control is even more important in our lives, and as a result, God has given us a special and a supernatural provision to live a self-controlled life through the Holy Spirit. Well, this raises the questions, I think at least, if God supplies us with all of the desire and all of the power Uh, Imagine that. 
supplies us with all of the power and all of the desire to live a completely self-controlled life. And he does. Then what's the problem here? Why so often do we as Christians live lives that are so devoid of self-control? Uh, or our lives are marked by self-control only in the areas in which self-control is easy to exercise and, and then not in any of the areas where self-control requires actual self-control, uh, requires actual effort on my part uh, in, in life. And so where does the problem lie if there's a lack of self-control in a Christian's life? And I think even more importantly, knowing that the responsibility lies in a failure uh, in, on our part and not on God's part in terms of him providing the will to do and the power to do related to self-control. But, uh, but how do I exercise this self-control in my life? Uh, not merely where it is virtually effortless to do so, I have absolute self-control over prune juice, over lima beans, uh, over ever becoming a pilot or a flight attendant. If there is a purgatory, and there isn't, it would be being put on a plane and to fly and never be able to get off of in that oxygen-depleted uh, environment. And so not just the ability to exercise self-control where it requires nothing to, to uh, exercise it, but in those areas in my life where it requires real self-control to keep something from gaining mastery over my life. Now, the most thorough treatment of this subject in a person's life, so if you really want to dig into it, Paul addresses all of this uh, in depth in Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8. And I would refer you to our uh, study of the book of Romans on Sunday morning some years ago, available in the media or a study of your own related to those chapters where you say, I really need a graduate course on this in my life. Paul gives us that in, in those, uh, those chapters. But I want to, uh, uh, for our purposes this morning, in addressing the how of all of this in our lives, first of all, uh, self-control in our lives begins with possessing a motivation uh, for self-control, uh, the highest motivation uh, a Christian can possess in this regard, and that is the desire to live a life that pleases God and blesses God and uh, properly represents God. The highest motivation a person can ever have for, uh, for self-control anywhere in life is to bless God. 
and to bless him in response to how good he has been to us. And so God provides us as Christians the highest motivation for self-control in our lives. It's beyond our own freedom. Uh, it, it is something even higher uh, than uh, that. And so God has provided that uh, to us. And God has provided us with that, that motivation by the Holy Spirit within us. There is the old saying, it's a wonderful saying, it takes a passion to conquer a passion. It takes a passion to conquer a passion. And you look anywhere you want to in life and you'll discover that uh, to be true. And God knows it to be true as well. And the Holy Spirit brings a passion for God into our lives that is greater than the passion for anything else in life. Passion for any sin or any appetite of the flesh. And the key to a victorious Christian life, a life of self-control, is not at its foundation to hate sin more, but to love God more. And generally, self-control in our lives will only occur to the degree that we love God above everything else in life and in the direct proportion to the depth of our personal relationship uh, with Him. Like everything else in the Christian life, it all begins there. And then second, I have to want to live a life of self-control. And I think it's very easy, especially over the long haul of uh, the Christian life, to simply kind of begin as... This life turns into years, it turns into decades and into more decades. And to just simply uh, ignore the want to of the Holy Spirit in our lives over time to grow into Christ-likeness and to just kind of give up on it and to grow comfortable uh, in an undisciplined uh, life where a person can be a Christian for long, long years and decades and have now ceased to have any interest at all in having my life be marked by, by self-control. And so we grow comfortable with an undisciplined uh, life. I'm on my way to heaven, and I am simply content with that. And it's passages like this in uh, the Bible and in the book of Proverbs that provides a wake-up call to us, that that kind of a resignation in the Christian life is either the result of the grieving of the Holy Spirit in our lives or the quenching of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to silence that voice of want to in terms of living a life of self-control, living a life like Christ. Some awful, awful something has happened between me and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life as a Christian. When I settle in and I say, this is no longer a concern for me, I am content merely to get into heaven and then have my life dominated uh, in this way, uh, on the way uh, there. And it puts us 
uh, in a great danger as Christians. It puts us in as great a danger spiritually. I, I, I mean, not even talking about what it does to the reputation of God through our lives, but it puts us in as great a danger as an ancient city without, uh, without a, a wall in, a, in fierce combat and danger. And then third, very important, that we turn to God in prayer and just to sincerely ask him for his help in producing, help me, Lord, in, in this, I want self-control in this area of my uh, life. And, and this quality of self-control that the Holy Spirit brings into our life, it always has to involve prayer. I mean, it has to be something we want enough to pray uh, 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 about. Lord, I'm sick of lacking self-control in this area of my life, and with all of my heart, I, 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 I beg you to produce self-control in this area of, of my life. And, and oftentimes, I think we want a formula for self-control related to this area of my life or this area. Here are the three, uh, the three things that lead to self-control in this area of, uh, of my life. And I do these three things, and it'll result in, in victory in this area uh, of my life, whether it's eating or whether it's a temper or whether it's impulsiveness in my life. But victory in the Christian life never comes by way of formula. Not long-term victory uh, at all. It always comes out of our relationship with God. It always comes out of that relationship being meaningful to us and being the most important thing uh, in our lives. Otherwise, we would reduce every single uh, area uh, of the Christian life uh, to this endless series of formulas, and we would then miss out on the very thing that Christianity is, and that is a relationship with God. And so no one achieves or experiences self-control in our lives as Christians apart from the deepening of that relationship. And how often there can be that tendency to say, I want victory in this area of my life, but I'm not willing to pray for it. I'm not willing to go deeper in my relationship with the Lord for that to happen. I mean, if we're being honest about ourselves, then I'm not really serious yet about self-control from the Holy Spirit in that area uh, of my life. We need to pray because there is a very, very real God on the other end of that prayer who loves us and who is for us and wants this to be a characteristic uh, of our lives a and, and he will then work in our, our lives and in, in a degree in terms of his love for us and his care for us he will listen to our prayers our desire for self-control and, and freedom in, that, uh, in this area uh, of, of our life, and he will lead us into it. But the key is 
to never stop pleading and never stop praying and never stop growing deeper in God until that self-control occurs and that area in my life. And that's where so often we stop. He didn't do it in three days. Well, I've been 68 years getting here and I want him to do it in three days. I'm the big boss, know it all. I've made a mess of my life here to this point. Now I'm going to put, not only am I going to ask him to fix me, but I'm going to put him on a timetable for it. Doesn't work, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. He is going to do something wonderful in the relationship in producing this self-control within our lives. And then fourth and finally, we need to obey then what God tells us to do in this regard, whatever that area might be in our lives, his instruction for self-control. It fills the book of Proverbs. It fills the Bible as a whole. And so, yes, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, we are uh, to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Yes, all of that uh, is true. But then to begin somewhere, and, and then to also begin to exercise the spiritual muscle of self-control somewhere in my life on some level. We do not live in a country that extols self-control. We just don't. And on some level, uh, it, it, we begin to uh, exercise that muscle of self-control in order that this area of our life uh, and becomes stronger and then moves on into other areas of our life. And it might start, for example, with, uh, in terms of the area of eating, with just starting with portion control. Or uh, in terms of listening to uh, determine, okay, I, uh, Lord, would you help me not to interrupt people while they're talking? Or if that's too big of a bite to start with, start with someone. Lord, would you help me not to interrupt my wife while she's talking? Or my husband when he's talking? Or my child? Or my boss? Or wherever it may be in life? And we start somewhere to start exercising that self-control. And it's a good feeling. And then it enlarges uh, itself by not running off half-cocked every time we hear half of a story and so forth. The idea is to start somewhere, and God will strengthen us as we do that. We step out in faith in God's Word and do that, and then He will continue to enlarge kind of that beachhead of self-control in our lives until it marks a greater and greater portion uh, of, of our lives until one day we go into heaven, we'll be done with all of this. And we say hallelujah to that, but we're not in heaven yet. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit, this side uh, of, of heaven. And somehow this morning, as is appropriate for our lives, this is, I'm not accusing related to this message in any way, but to determine this morning that in that area where we lack self-control, uh, to begin somewhere, to begin somewhere in these four things that we've talked about. And most of all, in drawing close to God in prayer relating to that.
and then saying, help me move forward. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, self-control and the motivation for self-control in your life, um, the capacity, a supernatural capacity for self-control uh, in your life, way b beyond what is, uh, we are, are born with. All of these things are found in a relationship with God. They're found in being born again by the Holy Spirit, putting my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my s sins, the Holy Spirit coming into my life, and now bringing this supernatural capacity for self-control into our lives. And that's where this quality of self-control begins in your life, by giving your life to the Lord and experiencing that miracle. Now, I don't want anybody to leave and say, well, I, I'm not saved at all, and I, I'm quite content with the level of self-control uh, in my life. Uh, and, and say, I don't, I, I don't, need, it. I don't need him for self-control. You do. You're not kidding. Any. But uh, if, if I were to think such a, a thing, not you, but me, if I were to think such a thing, um, uh, and it related to that, everybody needs to be saved for the forgiveness of our sins. Self-control, no self-control in order to enter into that relationship with God. And there'll be men and women, pastors, up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God this morning. If you need prayer for anything this morning in your life, this or anything that's happening, they'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we pray that you would take this truth from your word that is so absent in our culture and we pray that you would confirm your truth with accompanying signs and wonders as each of us draws closer to you in this important area of the Christian life. We pray that you continue to lead us out ever greater measure, Lord, into the freedom and the peace and the self-respect and the joy and, and uh, the blessings that are found in a life of not being dominated by the world and the flesh and the devil. And Lord, we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you close us?